tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. Uh, it's a lovely day here in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, the, the Ridiculous History crew is pretty excited uh, for a number of reasons, but one, just to gently brag about ourselves here, guys, uh, we're actually temporarily, somewhat, just a little bit, getting ahead in our recording schedule. How nuts is that? Hi, I'm Ben. Hey, I'm Noel Ben. I completely credit the narwhal horn that we've been crushing up and uh, uh, topically applying to to various uh, key areas um, for this boost of energy that's allowed us to to really get ahead of the curve. Peek behind the curtain, you guys. Um, nine times out of ten, we are like just on the seat of our on the seat of our pants by the by seat. the seat of our that's the one uh in terms of our episode buffer um you know a lot of shows just do one episode a week but that's not enough for us we have to bring you two episodes a week of original content live and direct not live at all but it's a little hard to keep up sometimes and both ben and i took vacation last week and you would think that would mean our buffer would be burned but instead we actually made a couple of cool two-parters that I'm very proud of with Joe Piazza, uh, and uh, we're ahead of the game. So, yeah, congrats to us. <laughs> and, and we should also mention uh, we owe a lot of thanks to our super producer, Casey Pegram. Casey, you were on vacation, too. You know, as as the show continues, uh, super producer Casey's demands and his rider get longer and longer, more elaborate. Uh, you know, recently... Uh, Casey, I think you you said that you were going to stop drinking out of any regular cups. They all had to be unicorn cups. Is that correct? That yeah, that is correct. And of course, the standard uh, M and M green M and M writer kind of thing. Um, yeah, <laughs> no, no eye contact in the hallway. Um, these are just some of the few demands that I that I uh, attach to that writer. Those are pretty standard, though. Honestly, I mean, it's 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 the it's the heated uh, six packs of white socks that really threw me for a loop i'm like you know uh, i know you want fresh socks casey but we're all staying home you don't really have to it's a comfort thing and then they have to arrive to you piping hot directly from the laundromat yeah you know and who doesn't appreciate a good set of socks there uh casey i i gotta say i i know we're giving you a little bit of a hard time but but you've you've earned this position. You know, we're lucky to have you on the show. And even with all of your, let's say, specific or particular requirements, uh, you're a tremendously swell guy to work with and pretty easy to work with, especially in comparison to 
I don't know, Noel, uh, royalty, because they have some weird demands. Uh, in fact, today's episode, uh, today's episode has uh, some cameos by weird royalty and their weird demands. We are talking about one of the most famous mythological creatures in human history. And personally, just between us guys, one that never made a ton of sense to me. We're talking about the unicorn. Why didn't it make sense to you, Ben? I don't know, man. It's just, I think it's because when you read about monsters, and and I love monsters, when you read about them, they usually have superpowers that are somehow offensive. They have offensive powers. But unicorns have this weird relationship with, um, what is it, virginity. Um, they have curative powers. But mm-hmm, when, it, mm-hmm. when it comes to protecting themselves, unicorns just have you know they have a head stick yeah i always think of uh when i think of unicorns i think of the movie legend with a very young tom cruise and a uh a once again absurdly made up tim curry uh playing i don't know they don't call him the devil but he's basically the devil and he's got some crazy horns unto himself that are like the width of a man's forearm you know but yeah that that movie centers around these unicorns and uh the the quest for them and their magical powers um and it's something that as persisted throughout history. The myth of the unicorn goes all the way back to classical uh, antiquity. Um, And the idea of being able to kind of like siphon off their powers in their horn by removing it. And we even have evidence of uh, a trade of unicorn horn that happened uh, from the Middle Ages through the Renaissance by Vikings who claim to have killed these mythical creatures. Uh, We're going to get to what they actually were in a little bit. But first, why don't we just talk a little bit about the history of the unicorn and their first appearance in, in, in literature? Yeah, yeah, that's a great place to start. Uh, because I, I know what you're thinking here, ridiculous historians. Hang on, a unicorn trade? Come on, guys. Unicorns aren't real. Wait for it. We'll get there. So you're right. The myth of the unicorn is very, very old. This is not a recent thing. The first written mention of what we would call the unicorn today occurs in a book called Indica, uh, I-N-D-I-K-A. This is uh, written by a guy named Tessius, a 5th century Greek scholar. And in his story, the unicorn is basically a very fast magic donkey. And it's from India, and it has this single horn that has curative powers. It's like... um, it's, it's like a panacea. It can purify water. It can banish poison in food. But notice there that this is not a creature of Greek myth. Instead, it's a creature, at least in, in this story, of Indian myth. But people took, people took this book seriously. They did not think it was fanciful. They thought it was natural history. They thought it was true. You're talking about Indica? Yeah. Yeah, I'm more of a sativa guy myself, but that's just personal preference. Um, and, you know, in, in, in the Greeks did kind of co-opt this, this myth uh, in the form of the Pegasus, which is the more badass version of the unicorn, in my opinion, because as we know, the Pegasus has wings and has all of those same curative magical abilities, but also can fly, which, you know, is, is on the top of most people's superpower wish list. I know that you take issue with that, Ben. Wait, wait, does the, um, does the Pegasus have curative powers? Well, I would assume if it's got all the other, you know, abilities of the unicorn, but maybe that's just me editorializing. I would hope that it doesn't just like get give up all of those powers in exchange for wings. I would hope it's like a double threat. I, I think it might just be the wings, though. Ah, oh, man. Bummer. <laughs> oh, well, you can't have it all, I guess, Pegasus. But yeah, medieval scholars, like you said, really took what was printed in this book by Tessius in the 5th century BC as you know, the truth. And um, you had really smart people like Aristotle and Leonardo da Vinci all referring to the unicorn as though it were a real thing. And even uh, Middle Ages physicians talking about all of the curative powers of unicorn horn and its ability to detect and cure poison. Like it was this kind of like one-stop shop for all that ails you and gives you vigor and, and, and can protect you against the darkness. 
Yeah, and this was a booming business for a while. During the Middle Ages, the trade really took off because uh, there was a little bit of religious syncretism that came into play, and people began associating the unicorn with Christianity. They thought of the unicorn as this symbol of Jesus Christ, and it made it an almost holy animal. And by the age of the Renaissance, people were paying out the nose, or should I say up the horn, for unicorn material. And the cost of what was sold as a unicorn horn or unicorn dust or unicorn bits or however they sold it, uh, it inflated to 10 times their weight in gold or more. Uh, I do want to give a shout out, by the way, to one of my favorite childhood animations, the Last Unicorn. Did you guys ever see that one? So sad. So sad. Uh, it's, There's a devil character in that one too, isn't there? Kind of like an evil demon overlord kind of creature, if I'm not mistaken. The evil witch, Mommy Fortuna. Ah, uh, uh, yes, yes. And there's like a circus situation, uh -huh. like the unicorn's traveling with a circus. And yeah, really, really cool. Um, I uh, really quite enjoyed the band, the Unicorns, uh, mm -hmm. of early 2000s fame. They sort of burned out bright with one really cool record called uh, Who Will Cut Our Hair When We Are Gone. Mm -hmm. um, and they have a song called... I don't think it's called, I was born a unicorn. And it just says, we're the unicorns. We're more than horses. We're the unicorns and we're people too, um, which I, I quite love. So if you haven't checked that out, I recommend it. And also the band Islands that was an offshoot of that band. With, I uh, kind with of prefer of Islands, to be honest. Islands Creeper is definitely more hi-fi. Yeah, yeah, it's very, very good. But something about that unicorns record is really plucky and kind of lo-fi and just a lot of fun. I, I highly, highly recommend it. Get this. Uh, this is crazy. Jeff Bridges was in the last unicorn and it was a Rankin bass film that that explains why it was so good i don't know if it mm -hmm. aged if it aged well i haven't seen it for a long time but let us know if you've seen it recently i saw it a couple of years ago and, and I, I i quite enjoyed it but it, it, i love the Rankin bass style of animation mm -hmm. it's very uh it's sort of like the next best thing to disney in a lot of ways they don't really get a lot of credit but people forget too that the land before time was a rankin bass film yeah. and everyone always assumes that it's disney because it came out and had that same wide release mm -hmm. uh and it had like the the toys you could get at burger king but it was a rankin bass film i uh i've been on a ghibli kick pretty uh for a while now uh did you so get hbo uh hbo max yeah i i got like grandfathered into that so i've been catching get, revisiting the ghibli stuff I was yeah. trying to get to the museum in Japan back when people could travel, but uh, story for another day. Anyway, we digress. So let's progress into the question we established earlier, right? How do you sell a unicorn horn in a world where no unicorns exist? This is crazy because we're talking about a widespread uh, what counterfeiting ring, a widespread hoax? What would you say? What what were they actually selling and calling a unicorn horn? Yeah, totally. It all goes back to the Vikings, those bloodthirsty rape and pillagers of uh, of, of antiquity, of history. Uh, and they were also, it turns out, were pretty uh, crafty uh, salespeople. Um, and they, they had a bit of a hustle going on with this whole unicorn horn business. Um, it can be traced back to uh, their trading with the Inuit uh, of both Canada and Greenland, uh, Greenland, excuse me, um, who harvested uh, the tusks of narwhal, which I have to tell you, I'm going to be completely honest here. I thought narwhals were imaginary too. Really? But they're not. Yeah. They're not. And, I'll, and, I'll, and I can tell you why. It's because they just don't make any sense. Mm -hmm. You look at a narwhal, it's like a little tiny, not tiny, but compared to like a great blue whale, pretty mm -hmm. tiny, uh, with this massive tusk it's a tooth it's a single tooth uh protruding from its forehead basically like a unicorn but it has this really cool almost like braided kind of spiral design mm -hmm. um and and that it became incredibly sought after uh largely i think because of its you know use as counterfeit unicorn horn yeah i i'm wondering i don't think it's quite a crenellated Horn, but as you said, it's not really a horn at all. It's the upper left canine. 
of the narwhal's mouth. So everyone listening, imagine if your upper left canine, you know, the canine, one of your vampire teeth, if it was just huge and pushed closer to your forehead and protruded out. No, uh, I can't blame you. It does seem... Um, it does seem a bit whimsical, a bit Seussian and in terms of design. Uh, yeah, so the Vikings or other hoaxers would sell sometimes rhino or walrus horn, but narwhal quickly became sort of the, the gold standard, or should we say the unicorn standard here. And it is because Vikings had this extensive trade network. They also had control of the market because we have to remember the people in Europe we're not going up to the northern wilds near as often, right? The people who are the customers here. Um, when Vikings were roaming the seas, let's say ballpark around 1000 AD, they were also, as you said, hunting and harvesting narwhal, you know, for the meat, but also primarily for the horns. And they did something very clever because when they sold this, they never revealed the origin, because the last thing you want is somebody else hopping on a boat and muscling in on your territory. We should also bust some Viking stereotypes, right? Did you guys ever see that show, Vikings? I never watched it, but I heard it was okay, but a little problematic, maybe? I'm not sure. <laughs> what, what was your thinking, Ben? You know, I I didn't watch the entire run. Um, I, I can see how it would be problematic, but we have to bust some Viking stereotypes, right, Noel? I do know about that torture mechanism they use called the blood eagle, mm -hmm. or maybe it wasn't torture, it would kill you, or they would split your back open and hang you by like your lungs. I think they would pull your lungs out through your back and make it look like you had wings. Mm -hmm. And that was actually done in an episode of the really weird and interesting uh TV series Hannibal, um, mm -hmm. where one of the one of the psycho murderers that exist in that world, uh, you know, made these blood eagle. Uh, oh, Hannibal! The mm -hmm. cinematography is so beautiful. Yeah, the food good. shots and the and the murder scene shots. Uh, I watch it just for those. Casey, have you seen that show? Have you just just from the visual aspect? I'd love to hear what you think about it. No, I, I've seen like little clips and stuff of Hannibal and I've heard the, the cinematography is really interesting, but I have not really uh, seen the series. Not to get too far off track, but it's, it's interesting is the showrunner and the creator of that was the same guy that did that show. Um, I think it was called Pushing Daisies. Mm -hmm. uh, that was sort of about like, it was almost this Dr. Seussian kind of world. Um, it also had murder, but it was much more tongue in cheek. But it's interesting that he went from that to uh, this really, really dark and uh, just gloriously filmed series. Uh, highly recommend. Also the amazing Mads Mikkelsen um, plays uh, plays Hannibal. Mads Mikkelsen also played a Viking mm -hmm. in a Nicholas Winding Refn movie. What was that one called, Casey? Uh, Valhalla Rising, I think. Yep, yep. That's right. That's right. And he plays this kind of wandering, one-eyed uh, Viking. Mm -hmm. And the Vikings, to your point, Ben, um, oh, really quickly, by the way, the narwhal horn can reach up to nine feet in length, which yeah, is insane. And they're big. And they're very, very sharp. They're not like a blunt instrument. They're very, like, pointy. And um, like you said, Ben, the Vikings w would interact with the Inuit, which were kind of like, you know, Eskimo types, basically, that lived in the uh, frozen wastes of Canada and Greenland. Greenland. And the legend actually of the narwhal and its origin is an Inuit legend that an Inuit woman was dragged into the water by her harpoon rope that she had tied to her waist when she was spearing a whale and that she was transformed into the narwhal with her hair, uh, turned into that spiraling tusk. Um, and mm. it's only the male narwhals that, that have the horn, by the way. So that's really mm. interesting that it was, a, that it was a woman. Um, but yeah, the Vikings, uh, as we, you know, I know you want to bust some myths. They, there's definitely some truth to how ruthless they could be. Um, and that they would do these raids and they would, uh, you know, steal things from, um, ships and, and they would board, you know, merchant vessels. Uh, they were in fact, incredible navigators. And uh, like we said, also very smart traders. Happy pride from Tomboy X celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their pride 24 collection obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through six X visit tomboyx.com. 
tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, but what was what were some of the Viking myths you wanted to bust, Ben? So first, wanted to bust the idea that these are knuckleheads. The, this couldn't be further from the case. Uh, secondly. There was never really a unified, quote unquote, Viking empire, right? These were a lot of interrelated but relatively autonomous groups. Uh, also, and I don't, I don't know why this got to me. This is a misconception I had for a long time. Vikings didn't wear horned helmets. First off, <laughs> they're kind of a terrible idea because it makes it really easy to remove a helmet in a fight if you could just grab the horn. Uh, and also, uh, that that idea is really recent. It goes back to uh, one of uh, an opera cycle that I think we all like, Wagner, The Ring of the Nibelung in 1876, a production of that. Uh, and they weren't all barbarians, to your point. They were very shrewd traders. And that's how they capitalized on the unicorn industry. They knew something that um, the advertising industry uses all the time today. And it's this simple, brilliant understanding. When you are selling something to people, you are not just selling them a physical object. You're selling them an idea, right? You're selling them something aspirational. People aren't buying a Rolls Royce just because they think it's a dependable car. They're buying it because they associate it with success. And so people were buying these quote unquote unicorn horns because they saw the transaction as one where they were also purchasing prestige. You know what I mean? Like, like you said, no, they got, they got into this business from trading with Inuit communities. And then sometime in the past, we don't know exactly when, but sometime in the past, a Viking trader sold one of these horns to a European trader and at first, this Viking trader didn't lie to them, didn't give them a smoke show. They just sold them a horn. And it was the European trader who was like, hang on, I've heard of unicorns. And he told his buddies, I have a unicorn horn. And everybody else said, I want one. Is it true they cure disease? We'll get to that part. But it, it took off like gangbusters from there. I just, I want to put that out there. The first Viking who sold a horn to a European trader probably didn't lie and say it was a unicorn, but they went with it. Well, it's like that historical game of telephone we always talk about, too, where it's like, oh, all of a sudden people are expecting to be able to get unicorn horn uh, because maybe they heard someone else got one. And then before you know it, that's where the demand shifts to. Right. Mm -hmm. um, super, super interesting the way we see this throughout history. Yeah. Yeah. And one interesting economic note here, as soon as this stuff started to become really expensive, obviously the vast majority of people living in Europe could not afford to to buy a unicorn horn from a viking what are they like we're talking about a time when people lived and died very close to where they were born 
Not a ton of people had a ton of money. So that means that there is a niche market for the unicorn horn. That niche market is royalty. Casey, I'm sorry we busted your chops a little bit about that rider and and your various demands for the show, uh, because hearing about the lives of kings and queens, man, they must have been difficult to work with. They also had a tough job, right, Noel? They had some warm feet. (laughs) Casey on the case. Yeah, and as we've we've done episodes on this in the past about how popular poisoning was uh, during the Age of Enlightenment. So uh, a lot of uh, royalty were super paranoid. The idea of food tasters and all of that, you know, is something that you see, you know, in pop culture a lot. But uh, they were always looking for ways to protect themselves against uh, this silent killer. Um, and, and with good reason. It was definitely something to be concerned about. We've certainly seen successful cases of poisonings uh, throughout history. Um, and one of the ways they thought they could do that was to pay quite exorbitant sums of money for various magical objects um, that they thought would protect them uh, against uh, being poisoned or somehow um, indicate that there was poison in something, you know, like without having to kill your food taster uh, or that it would, uh, you know, be an antidote antidote to it or or what have you. But the the most highly prized of these was unicorn horn. um, And it was actually uh, also known by the name alicorn. And this was like in the age before um, we really had much understanding of science or of the chemical makeup of things, uh, of why something would do the thing that it would do. We just were able to like look at, uh, you know, firsthand experience and say, okay, this herb has this effect. We don't really know why, but we know it does. Um, And then also like the placebo effect is still a very real phenomenon. So folks would certainly maybe take things and convince themselves that it did a good job because they imbued it with these magical properties and magical powers. So also you paid a crap load of money for it. So nobody wants to spend that kind of loot and then think they're getting bilked. So that probably helped uh, continue this myth circulating. But we have uh, some interesting information from Eleanor Herman um, in her book, The Royal Art of Poison, where she says, before chemistry was a thing, people believed that many objects and foodstuffs had magical virtues or properties. Ruler believed such items would protect them because that is what the most learned men of the time told them. These days, world leaders have their secret service agents. Back then, they had their food tasters. Yeah, so this is this is a really great point. And this is a myth, another myth I'd like to bust here. I know it sounds silly that people might believe in the curative powers of uh, a rare animal, right? And they also believed unicorns were real. But they're no different from people today, right? We, we work with the information we have available, right? And it's just so, it's so condescending to look back and think, wow, these people were real dunderheads. Uh, no, these were smart people. These were world leaders. Uh, the European rulers, of course, pretty out of touch with the the common people of the world, they became obsessed with owning that magical unicorn horn. It's the aristocratic version of keeping up with the Joneses. And even today, there's so much advertising stuff that goes into here, so much market psychology, because you know, even today, you'll see that people who pay more for something tend to feel better about it, right? And that's what's happening with unicorn horns. The Vatican is also not immune to this. In 1533, Pope Clement VII gave King Francis of, you know, France a magnificent horn, but this was super fancy. This wasn't just a a unicorn horn or a sea unicorn, as they called it sometimes. This horn was mounted in solid gold. Ivan the Terrible that's a great name, by the way, had a staff made from one, which is such an amazing move. Now I want to horn staff if it didn't oh. mean i'd kill a unicorn for it you deserve one ben and i'm i'm gonna make a note of that for for your next birthday which is coming uh, up actually we both share uh, the same birthday week um so be on the lookout for a sweet gilded unicorn horn <laughs> scepter worthy of your station my friend in podcast them oh no need to no need to gild it you know i'm, I'm terrified really? of metal yeah just, okay just the well, horn then, by how about, uh, mm, okay i'll get back to you on, on all how right, I'm, all gonna right. ma- I'm gonna mount 
content then. Um, yeah, it's interesting too. I have to say, backing up to the Vatican, like wasn't the power of Christ enough for them, man? They had to have like magical artifacts, like unicorn horns. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't understand all of this mythology. is fascinating. Um, but yeah, so uh, Philip the uh, Second apparently had twelve of them, just like, like a whole like you know cadre <laughs> of unicorn horns that he probably kept in some kind of gilded cabinet. Um, by the way, a lot of this is coming from one of our favorite sites, history.com. I mean, you know, they who how do you even get that that URL? They must have been really early to the game of internet addresses to get history.com. But they earned it, my friend, because they have some really great reporting on all kinds of stuff. And we crib from them quite often. This one's called Unicorn Horns, Royal Protection, and Poison Anecdotes. Completely unfounded speculation here. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that it actually the website actually began as like high story, like high comma story, and they would just tell stories, and then they they sort of stumbled into it. They fell upward, you know. I love it. Uh, that's a good way to fall. If I mean, it defies the laws of gravity, but uh, that, if that's how you know you're doing a good job. Um, but yeah, the Habsburg family, we know all about them. Boo. They, uh, yeah, no, no good. They had a gilded. Uh, quote unquote unicorn horn mounted in a giant scepter covered in 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 precious stones and gems and rubies um and uh you know queen elizabeth the first of england um also fully on board the unicorn horn train um she bought uh, a lot of these, and one of them went for ten thousand pounds, um, which was the cost of an entire castle uh, around four to five million pounds today um, for one unicorn horn. It's it's kind of sickening if you think about the uh, absurd wealth that has been squandered over the centuries on, you know, bullcrap basically. Yeah, it's it's insane. It's it's especially wasteful too, uh, to to an offensive degree. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes. You heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The thing is, though, that people really did believe this stuff worked. You know what I want to see, guys? I want to see the Viking Billy Mays in the Viking unicorn horn commercial where he's just going like, but wait, there's more, you know, sp sprinkle this tusk on wounds, swallow it to cure diseases. Oh, do you like knife handles? We can make them out of horn or goblets or amulets to wear around your throat. Hey, you can get a chip of unicorn horn and just drop it in your wine, drop it in your food if you can't afford a whole uh, goblet of unicorn horn, because this will tell you whether or not there is poison. Here's the thing. The entire time this, this trade is occurring, there is not one case of proven, successfully detected poison. It literally had zero results, and people 
loved it. Well, I have a question for you, Ben, and yeah. for the ridiculous historians at home. Um, you know, it's sort of like you don't think at some point they somebody escalated it. Some super rich royal was like, "The horn's not enough. I want an actual unicorn." And the fact that no one had ever seen one of these mythical creatures didn't like tip any red flags. Like, what, what do you think the reasoning was when someone would go to a tradesman, you know, who was uh, trading in unicorn horn and say? I want you to bag me a proper unicorn that I'm going to keep in my stables. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, that's a good question. And we see this situation crop up more, more than once in the story of trade. If I had to guess, and this is just a guess here, folks, if I had to guess, I would say that there was supply side repression, by which I mean the Vikings knew that it was not in their best interest to give people the source, right? To let them know about the narwhal. The same way maybe that during the um during the silk trade, silkworms were a closely guarded species, right? Or a closely guarded life form. Ben, I think you're spot on. That makes perfect sense. And can we make this a segment now? Wild speculation? Just where we, where we just conjecture and we have a little music bump. What do you think, Casey? I love it. All right, great. You okay with this, Ben? Unfounded speculation. That's yeah. it. Yes, uh, unfounded speculation. So we got highstory.com yeah. and then we got uh yeah, and then we've got this speculation, but we we also hear, no, we have we have proof of the discovery of these quote unquote curative powers, right? Because it turns out one British explorer did actually make it to the Arctic and did seem to find a unicorn of sorts. Yeah, this guy Martin Frobisher, uh, who we've we've reported on before, if I'm not mistaken, a, a very well known British explorer who went to the Arctic in 1577, um, and when he returned, he brought with him a six foot long. Uh, tusk that he had found on what he referred to as a dead sea unicorn. Um, and he tested, <laughs> this is great. He tested the tusk's medical potency by putting spiders inside of it. Uh, and when the spiders died, he declared that the horns were effective in neutralizing their poison. Brilliant uh, deduction there. And then he gave it to Queen Elizabeth as a gift. And she, um, you know, respected this guy and thought that his methods were sound. And she was so impressed that she ordered that it be preserved uh, alongside the British crown jewels, which is like a phrase that we use to refer to any of the like highest regarded, you know, very, uh, very tightly guarded things in any, you know, situation, the crown jewels of automobiles. This is the crown jewels. And then the, the narwhal horn was right alongside it. Um, and in the late 1600s, we have Christian V of Denmark. Uh, he had his throne, like Game of Thrones fashion, made out of unicorn horns. That had to have been pricey. Um, and that was used for coronation ceremonies. Yeah. And now, now we're getting to a, uh, an important turn in our story because we understandably have to wonder, right, did everyone take this at face value? Did literally nobody test the product here? Uh, it turns out someone did. After Elizabeth, King James I takes the throne. And according to Nigel Suckling, the author of a book named Unicorns, King James was a little bit skeptical. He was a little bit more of a critical thinker, perhaps a little bit less credulous. And he purchased a horn. And he said, look, I spent so much money on this. I dropped so much scratch. I got to try this out. So the way, the way that he did it, which is not super ethical, uh, is this. He poisoned one of his servants, and then he gave them an antidote made of this powdered unicorn horn. Keep in mind, this is supposed to be the 100% cure for any and all things poisonous. Uh, the servant died. And so James's conclusion was... Not not necessarily that unicorn horn didn't work. Uh, instead, he thought maybe he bought a fake one, which to me is I know someone died and I, I don't want to be a terrible person, but that's 
that's kind of ridiculous, right? Oh, that's- it's fine, man. It's been long enough. We can we can poke a little fun at it because it is ridiculous. I wonder if he did it like knowingly, you know, with the claim believing that he was going to be cured by the uni- the powdered unicorn horn, and he was like, you know, co- uh, what's the word? It was consensual poisoning. <laughs> Ah, consensual poisoning. Isn't King James the first the Bible guy? He's the Bible guy, right? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, the King James version of the Bible. <laughs> it's, a, it's a story all its own. It's its own episode. But long story short, back in 1604, King James, sometime around the time he was, uh, you know, consensually poisoning servants, uh, during his reign, he authorized a new translation of the Bible. Uh totally to you know shore up his own his own power structure so he was a smart guy again maybe not super ethical um but here's the deal we see this test fails right so he assumes i got a counterfeit horn but there's a reason we're not really trading unicorn horn for curative properties today and that is that two forces spelled the end for or the gradual decline of the unicorn trade. One was wider exploration and the other was good old fashioned science. Yeah, the Vikings had, you know, done a really fantastic job of creating this demand, uh, however they did it, how whatever game of historical telephone created this notion that the unicorn horn was some kind of magical, uh, you know, cure-all, um, and and they uh, created uh, a market for it um, and a uh, demand for it that made it worth its weight in gold, more than its weight in gold. Um, and, and, and it was all based on belief, because even in the... The one instance we have of testing, uh, it's still the belief persevered where King James was like, ah, oh, man, somebody sold me, you know, a bunk unicorn horn. But he didn't think to, like, question the whole, the whole structure of the deal. Right. Uh, same with uh, with Frobisher putting spiders inside the horn. Like it's, you know, there is testing being done. But be like you said, science wasn't really a thing. But once the Enlightenment comes along and brings in all of these advances in the scientific method and experimentation by the the late 17th century magic and alchemy and all of that stuff was kind of going by the wayside because it was being replaced by stuff that was much more actually effective and could be tested and unicorn horns and uh, other magical objects that would repel poison or you know uh protect you against the dark arts or whatever all of that stuff which as we know now it seems so obvious was based around superstition that all began to take a back seat to uh to the new ways which were based around science and, and rigorous kind of study yeah that's absolutely correct real quick i want a laundry list some other purported poison cures of the time have you guys ever heard of bezoars no sir it's so gross. I found out about, I think I found out about this in uh, the amazing graphic novel series, The Sandman. A bezoar is a solid mass of undigested food or even hair that you find in digestive tracts of animals and fish and humans. And so people thought that uh, bezoars could cure poison. They also thought that, uh, they also thought that pearls were powerful antidotes. Anyway, we're just saying that unicorn horns weren't the only example. They were just one of the most expensive. The science uh, just wasn't there for unicorn horns as people did more and more research. And explorers found narwhals eventually. Late in the age of exploration, European naturalists and adventurers traveled north. You know, the narwhal only lives in the Arctic. And they saw this narwhal in its natural environment. And this was a real death knell for the superstition of the unicorn kind of as a, as a horse, right? Because the, the narwhal, you know, we mentioned this before the tusk or the horn can grow to a huge size. These things themselves can be more than uh, five meters long, right? They're big. You can clearly tell that that's the source of the horn. If you had seen a horn before in Europe, and then also, of course, we have to point out uh, the Europeans learned about this, but it's not fair to say they quote unquote discovered it because many other communities knew about narwhals for a much longer time. Uh, 1638, there's a physician and zoologist with an awesome name. He's Danish. <laughs> his, his name is uh, Old Worm. 
or old worm? What do you think? Mm, oh, I like old worm better. Uh, but you know, yeah, if it's Danish, the W is probably a V sound. But old worm—that's a really good like DJ name, DJ <laughs> Old Worm. There I like go. that very, very much. Um, oh my gosh, what am I thinking of? There's a. Oh, I know what it is. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a show sketch where it's a Senator Tankerbell and he's at a, a, like a, like a kind of a pioneer arts and crafts fair. And there's someone, well, it's like, he's like, I'm old Swerdlow. And this <laughs> is the Ozark mountain tradition of song story in. And he goes, okay, old. <laughs> <laughs> I love the notion of old being someone's first name. So no, we're definitely going to go with old worm. I have, um, who, yeah. I have one of those walking uh, things, you know, the one that David Cross's oh, yeah. character is yeah. using. Yeah. I actually oh, have one of those. And yeah, 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 yeah. It's a good stuff. Uh, anybody who hasn't uh, really rewatched or rediscovered or discovered for the first time, Mr. Show, um, all that stuff is on HBO streaming. They have all, all the seasons on there. I highly, highly recommend it. Um, yeah, but Ole uh, discovered the narwhals himself, um, and and he that's when he realized in 1638 that hey, this is the this is the thing. This is what these horns looked like. Oh no, we've put uh, two and two together, and we've been had for lo these many years. Um, it's crazy. This 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 practice of selling, uh, buying and selling unicorn horns um, for exorbitant amounts of money um, in the highest echelons of of royalty and royal society completely dried up after. A hundred years, more than a hundred years. Um, in 1746, uh, it was still vaguely being used. Some British doctors were prescribing alicorn uh, as some kind of miracle cure. Um, and today, you can see some of the holdovers from, the, from these collections, like we talked about. Uh, the one that, that Elizabeth held in, in the uh, in the in the tower with the with the crown jewels, and uh, some of the ones that were you know kept in these in these um, you know, antiquity cabinets of curiosity, right? Um, and you can find those uh, at some museums around the country to, to this day. And so there you have it, ridiculous historians. The uh, the story of the the bustling centuries long unicorn trade. Uh, this you know history doesn't repeat, right? But it does rhyme, as as the old saying goes. And unfortunately, there is still a bustling illegal trade in narwhal tusk or horns today. Uh, people don't think it's the horn of a unicorn anymore, but the average price of a narwhal tusk now is around uh, 3,000 to 12,000 pounds. There's also the rare double tusk that is uh, around $31,000 US. And, and it's strange because, you know, again, to that point of, of, um, of how easy it is to look back on people and communities of the past and think that they were maybe not as smart as us. We have to remember there's still a booming trade in uh, illegal animal parts. And, and a large part of it still is motivated by the idea that some of these things have curative powers, right? Like think about all the, think about all the animals poached today because some body part of theirs is considered for some reason an aphrodisiac. You know, this, this hasn't really stopped. We just don't call them unicorns anymore. Oh, no. What is it that's really big for aphrodisiacs? I believe it's, um, well, seahorses is one. Like crushed up seahorses is a big one. But then there's also rhino horn is a, is a big mm -hmm. one that, that I think. And any of these exotic horns that you know typically come from endangered animals, uh, which makes them usually uh, quite illegal. But there's also like um, deer antler, for example, is still... Um, considered to be a uh, a very effective aphrodisiac. But again, sometimes I wonder, is it just the placebo effect? If you think you're going to get Randy from snorting a line of deer antler, maybe that's just self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. I don't know. I don't, not that you, that's not necessarily how you would uh, take this material. Like, You'd like probably, snake wine. Exactly, exactly. Um, but no, these kinds of superstitions, while a little more fringe and, uh, and under the radar, absolutely still a thing. And it all came um, from this, uh, this historical hustle. Yeah, agreed. And one cool thing I want to point out, uh, because I, I, I know that I, I know I was able to talk you guys into going with me on a Russian icebreaker, the 50 Let Pobody, when we go to the Arctic on it, We'll be in narwhal country. We can see these for ourselves. I'm so down. 
<laughs> so am I. So am I, Casey. I saw I saw a, a, a nod that looked to be affirmative on, on your side of the Zoom. Absolutely. This trip is getting better and better. <laughs> and speaking of trips, we are going to hit the digital road today. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Big, big thanks to our super producer, uh, the Emperor of Green M&Ms, Casey Pegram. Uh, huge thanks, of course, to Christopher Hasiotis. Massive thanks to Alex Williams, who composed our theme. Jonathan Strickland and his alter ego, the Quizster. So last time we had him on, he kind of bounced back and forth a little bit. I'm kind of worried about old Strick. Um, so we're going to have him on and give him a little more Zoom comfort during his core. Um, huge thanks to uh, Ease Jeff Coast. Check out her podcast, This Day in History, available now wherever you get podcasts. And hey, you know, while you're looking at podcasts and you're on that whole Apple podcast platform, why not leave us a nice review? Um, it really helps people discover the show. And it makes us feel good in our little hearts, uh, which occasionally we need during these dark times. Yeah, every time that uh, every time that we get a good review, the president of our company—I uh, don't know if he does this to you guys—but the president of our company calls me and says, "I'm just a little bit closer to not getting fired." So personally, I, I greatly appreciate it. Not to mention that every time you leave a good review for Ridiculous History, a narwhal gets its horn—technically a tooth. See you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.